Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 124 with Sarah Baker Andrus. Uh, she is a, a fellow Blue Hen uh, teacher and a staff member at University of Delaware, uh, where I went to undergrad. So it was really great to uh, connect with her and talk about career services for students and entering into uh, the future of work, the working world. Uh, good advice in here for everybody, but really helpful uh, within the lens of working with students. And Sarah brings in uh, just a wealth of experience and a lot of anecdotes from her own uh, professional journey. Uh, so really great stuff to connect with, uh, with what she talks about. And uh, she herself, uh, a great resource. So definitely uh, look her up on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, elsewhere. Uh, but I uh, really appreciate her time and uh, all that she shared. So as always, uh, definitely go check out the merch store. Go check out Patreon. Uh, help support the show. Really means a lot. And with that, uh, without further ado, this is episode number 124 with Sarah Baker Andrus. All right, so I'm super excited to be here for this episode, partially because we have a shared connection uh, that honestly, surprisingly, doesn't come up super often. Uh, University of Delaware, I went there for undergrad, uh, really was kind of my initial foray into a whole higher ed world working as an RA. And our guest, I know, also uh, has a connection there working there and supporting students and everything. So I'm sure that'll come up uh, in some way, but uh, we'll get started as we always do. Uh, Sarah, if you want to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Absolutely, Dustin. And it's always great to meet a fellow blue hen. So uh, yes, I, I am associated with uh, the University of Delaware. Uh, it's, it's one of several hats I'm wearing. And, and I, I really started my career. Uh, you know, I began in higher education. I, I got my first job out of college working as an administrative assistant uh, at Johns Hopkins. And and I didn't know what I wanted to do, which is probably, you know, why I why I landed in something uh, like that role. But I fell in love with the academic environment and found myself going back to graduate school. And during that process, worked in, in as an academic advisor and then moved into co-op and internship roles after I I got my master's degree and. And, uh, and then into non-credit programs and experiential learning. So a lot of different roles within academia. And what I found was that I was really drawn to my colleagues that I was working with uh, off campus through the non-credit programs, through the recruiting efforts, I was drawn to the business world. So I decided to make a pivot and spent my early career in the most obvious place when somebody's a career coach, you know, you go into corporate recruiting, you go into talent management. And, and, and then I moved into a role that actually focused on academic relations. So the company I was working with really wanted to build strong institutional relationships with, with, uh, with key schools where they recruited. And that meant working even on responsive curricula and uh, overseeing philanthropy uh, to academic institutions directly and student organizations, and then moved into more of a really a public relations role. And if you think about the recruiting space, it truly is public relations, image building, and selling, really. And along the way, I've continued to help people with their own career search, always kind of had a side gig helping people with their interviews and resumes. And about 10 years ago, 
I began to just feel an itch that I wanted to make a change. And I put out a few feelers and that led to a big, shiny job that was a very poor fit. And I like to share this because everybody dreams of the big, shiny job, but it's not always what you think it's going to be. And for me, that meant going from what was very much the top of my game in one organization to kind of feeling like I'd made a massive mistake within the first few weeks of my arrival at that new company. And I found myself thinking, wow, you know, if this can happen to someone like me with my background in career development and job search strategies, you know, it's no wonder that so many people are struggling around job change. And so I quickly started looking again. And this time I took my time and I really tracked the process. Uh, and it turns out uh, that as luck would have it, a, a decision was made for me about 18 months later when the company had a layoff. And I was never so relieved because in large part at that point, while I hadn't found my next job, I definitely had a plan. And I took what I learned and documented over the years and particularly around what I would change if I were to make a career move again. And that's when I started Avara Careers, which uh, is one of the hats I wear. Uh, and it's a career coaching consultancy. And we also work with organizations uh, to build great teams. And at the same time, I had this fantasy of working my way eventually into uh, academia again. So when the opportunity came up to uh, joined the adjunct faculty at the University of Delaware, I jumped at it. And I started teaching a required course in the business school, all about helping prepare uh, students to enter the workforce and be contributing members of the organizations that they join and really build those professional skills that are critical to early career success. And that brought me the connections that led me to my current gig as uh, the Assistant Director of Career Services at the Lerner College of Business, where I work primarily with uh, graduate students, MBAs, specialized masters, and PhDs, as well as Lerner alumni uh, to help them find a great career fit. Uh, so you might say I've kind of sat on all sides of the table when it comes to recruiting and job search. I've, uh, I've been a hiring manager myself. I've been a recruiter. I've looked for plenty of jobs and grateful that I've helped people find jobs too. Uh, so that, that's what brings me satisfaction. And I really hope that my students uh, and my clients can like their job as much as I do or like the work life they've created for themselves as much as I do. Yeah, so much great stuff. And I'm, I'm excited to explore, you know, that sort of 360 view that you're coming in as a hiring manager, somebody who's navigated their own career difficulties, and, you know, like where, where you land and the culture and uh, those sort of things. And uh, yeah, Rob Sales is just coming at this with a lot of just sort of, uh, kind of the book smarts, you know, like, this is something that you've really just dug in with and have a lot of uh, knowledge around. So uh, yeah, we're going to, you know, try to be contouring this around, you know, the higher ed setting, what students are facing and everything. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll start with uh, students. Obviously, you know, you, you mentioned that you're you're supporting uh, students there at uh, 
University of Delaware and uh, teaching and also just doing that career services support. So um, I guess just briefly, like, what do you see as just kind of broadly like common job searching struggles right now for students? There are several issues that come up when I hear that question. The first is that there is a disservice that society is doling out, which is this idea of find your passion. We hear that a lot. Find your passion. And for people who don't access that immediately, that can be very discouraging. And in my view, finding interest and curiosity are better places to start because passion can really only come as we approach some level of mastery and our students don't have that mastery. And so many of them are just listening to the the voices of, of influencers and key people in their life and don't know what passion feels like because they haven't had a lot of experience with mastery. And how much better would it be if we could say, look for something you're interested in? And I think to double up on, on that uh, complexity for our students, it's the pressure that they feel of a forever decision that somehow their first job out of college feels like the most momentous decision they could ever take. And what I tell my students is, look, it's not a forever decision. In fact, let's just focus on the next best step based on what we know about you today. Um, And there's a lot of fear and uncertainty that they're struggling with because of, of that external pressure and all the competition. And of course, I think that social media creates unrealistic expectations as well. And so then what happens when, when we're kind of in fear or we're not certain is we're going to, we're going to struggle to express ourselves because we're going to be so worried about what employers want to hear. And that can be paralyzing. So we also know that students like the rest of us are intimidated by the whole process. Job search is a really scary process because we're putting ourselves out there to be judged by others, whether it's in a formal interview or even in networking circumstances. So uh, I think a huge challenge for students is they don't know what to say about themselves and they're way too caught up on saying what they quote unquote should say. Well, and I think too, I mean, yeah, like all those struggles are just sort of very real because there's like, yeah, it's a lot of unknown. It's, it's, you know, job searching. I like often joke, it's kind of like dating, you know, like you're yes. just like, I would have put yourself out there and yes. be like, judge me, like me, please, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but the idea, like, you know, obviously so much of what you've immersed yourself in and like reflected on in your own journey, like there are a lot of great resources, a lot of great people, you know, willing to help, you know, students, especially out with it, you know, like any campus has some sort of uh, career services support. And I know you're working even like where it's like targeted towards the business students there and the required course they have to take and those sort of things. I guess just speak to me a little bit about like, because I'm curious really about like, you know, there's a required course, uh, you know, at UD and everything like, because something like that, like really kind of sticks out to me because I feel like sometimes there's these offices and it's just sort of like, well, we built it. So they'll come right. Like, you <laughs> and like, it's here for them. They'll know if they need the help we're here. And like, it's just sort of their, their kind of neutral stance. But like, I think we see a lot of surveys where like, you'll see, I think from like Gallup and stuff where like students just 
for one reason or another, don't utilize that resource, which is they just and all, for all those reasons that you noted is so sorely needed. So like, how do you recommend trying to like, you know, engage with the students, give them the help that they need and like be able to be really responsive and relevant to them? So I find that when that what students really respond to is facts and they're they are driven by so many conflicting pieces of information and we're all going to be drawn to the easiest thing. So for example, you know, I've had so many students that come up to me or come into a meeting and say, look, I, I finally reached out to you because I've applied for 200 jobs and all I've gotten is rejections, right? Very typical. The truth is that sitting at a computer and clicking apply is not a job search. And that's not just true for students. It's true for all of us. And there's this, there's this false impression that a job hunt is a numbers game. And it isn't the number of jobs we're applying for. It's actually who we can connect with, who we can introduce ourselves to. And we all hate this idea of networking. But when students hear the statistics, when they hear the facts that, for example, only about 20% of jobs ever appear on job boards. Okay, well, if I know that as a fact, then I understand I may have to target employers and go out to their sites and look at their career pages because, you know, while employers are required to post jobs publicly, they're not required to pay to post those jobs on LinkedIn or Indeed or Handshake or any of these sites, although Handshake is, is free. So that would be the exception, free to employers. Um, so I do encourage students to um, to really think about how they're going to find out about the jobs that aren't on those job boards they're checking. And um, I'm a huge believer in, uh, in, in the data that we know Forbes and LinkedIn did research that I think it's 2018 research now. That's the most recent, but 85% of professionals who found new jobs did engage in a conversation with somebody at the company or got a referral or did something other than click apply. So what I think is critical is, is that piece of building connections and helping students get fluent in what they bring to the table. So why doesn't a student even come into career services? Because perhaps they sense that it's going to be a lot of work, that it's going to be facing themselves and making some decisions, and it's easy to put off something that's not imminent. Uh, I don't think they understand the tremendous value of the services that are out there and how much somebody, you know, who's a career counselor can help them identify the skills and abilities they need to talk about themselves with confidence. So for example, the first thing that I work on with any student is, you know, what are you going to say when somebody asks me, tell me about yourself? What, what do you want to say about yourself? And, and, helping them understand what that question is really asking for. And when you know how to answer it, it's an amazing gift because it's a way to kick off a conversation and, and lead with your strengths. Um, You know, I think another important thing to share with students is 
they're living in this space of anxiety of will they hire me, which uh, is the wrong question. So instead, what if they ask the question, do I want to work here? And that is a much more proactive versus reactive type of uh, feeling. It feels better. It feels more confident. And and in order to know if I want to work here, well, you can kind of look back. And I will, uh, I'll actually refer back to one of your interviews regarding appreciative inquiry on your podcast. I think it was back last fall. And I use an appreciative inquiry approach when uh, working with students where we focus on their high point achievements and, and ask them to reflect back. Think about a time when you felt great about an accomplishment. And tell me about that. And what were the skills that helped you achieve that high point moment? What talents did you bring to that? What personal traits contributed to your success with that? What obstacles did you overcome and how did you do that? And the more stories they can create and the clearer they get on their skills and abilities and personal traits, that's what builds the vocabulary that leads to confidence and meaningful conversations with people about what they want to do. And it certainly helps in uh, interviewing with more confidence as well. Yeah, that's really great advice. And I think, um, yeah, hopefully it would help uh, any student feel a little less scared. Because like, I think that's a big part of it. Like you said, just sort of the finality, you know, around, yeah, it's like, oh, you're making this decision that's going to impact the rest of your life. And it's like, you know, talk with people, some, uh, you know, I was talking with someone recently and the idea of like learning from mistakes and just sort of like, yeah, we're all still here, you know, like we made mistakes and learned from it. So uh, even if that's the case, it's like, yeah, be as well prepared and informed to make the right choices for yourself uh with all this, but right. And I often, I often will tell students, let's say, okay, let's imagine you take this job and you discover it's not a good fit. You know, it might not be a fit on skill. It might not be a fit on employer. It might not be a fit on pay and benefits. There's lots of areas where we might have a misfit, right? But the process of learning where what is that fit? It's iterative. We're going to learn more with each move. And if we looked at our careers as instead of a one and done decision, if we looked at it as a choose your own adventure to go back to that, that book from childhood, um, you know, you can be traveling a path and then uh, you can, you can see a you know, a, another trail in the woods, uh, if you're a hiker and you see, oh, well, I could, I could go over there. All the trails are going to lead to this, to the, you know, uh, some Im- impressive overlook or the peak of a mountain or a waterfall or a pond. It doesn't matter. The key is that you're learning as you go along more about the adventure. You know, some trails might be you might stumble a little bit and others might have really sure footing. All of it is going to give you data and information about you and help you make 
the next choice. Yeah, absolutely. I think like the choose your own adventure, because yeah, it's like you can have this opportunity to sort of like double back or redo or whatever. Is that like, yeah, you might be kind of trudging through the mud or like kind of feel as though you're lost in the woods. But then like, yeah, you sort of happen upon something where it's like, oh my gosh, I never even thought that this would lead to this or something. So that's exactly right. And it also gets to the idea of mastery. So I think what's particularly difficult for for this generation is that they are not really good at being bad at things. And we've kind of, we've created a nightmare uh, because everybody wants to be, you know, good and, and they're not used to failing and, and um, mastery takes patience and effort, um, which is not something that uh, this particular generation of students is, super experienced with to hang with something and get better at it. And so I think that's the other advantage of trying some things is giving yourself room to maybe just suck at something and then improve. So that kind of does set me up well, though, for uh, what I wanted to get to next, because I feel like a big piece of uh, job searching right now is preparing people for, quote unquote, the future of work, uh, which may entail people kind of being uncomfortable, like doing something that they're not good at to have the different skills or awareness of uh you know, things like, you know, business analytics or something that they might just need to uh, be more informed about. So really quick, though, if you want to just make sure that everybody understands, if you want to give a brief definition of the future of work, and then we'll uh, kind of give some more context to it. So the way I would define the future of work is that it means considering two things. One is very thoughtful identification of who you are and what you offer in the workplace and how you want to contribute. And then thinking about the trends in uh, the world and in the economy and in the job market that are, are uh, going to impact where you land there. Uh, you know, that's, that's how I think about the future of work. But as far as the, the way I'm looking at it, uh, and I'm not sure whether this is the direction you were looking for or not, but uh, the pandemic has really already dramatically accelerated trends that we were already seeing. The most obvious is remote work. The, uh, you know, the, there are so many people who have been working remotely for the last more than a year and want to continue to have that flexibility. Then there's also the importance and the rise of artificial intelligence and machine learning, as well as e-commerce, the, uh, the nature of the virtual world we've been living in uh, since last March has really uh, ramped up the acceleration of all of those factors. And I think we're going to definitely see Many workers who are going to have to build new skills, who are going to have to change their professions. And I think there is a tremendous opportunity there for higher education, but it's going to demand our ability to pivot quickly, which is not always something that we're, we're known for in academia. The other observation I'd make, which is more anecdotal, is that 
I am seeing people voluntarily opt out of specific industries because of the impact of the pandemic. It's it's exposed workplace conditions that are leading people to make a conscious decision to do something else. So for example, we're hearing stories of restaurants being unable to fill open positions as as they open back up. And I have uh, several private clients who've decided not to return to teaching in the fall. So I think that what we're looking at is underlying issues uh, with pay and work environments across a number of industries that uh, I think are going to need to make structural changes in order to attract talent. And, you know, we've even seen the, as the job market has opened up in the past couple of months, we're seeing people demand more in terms of flexibility uh, and not not just regarding remote work, but uh, more money and companies are going to have to respond to to uh, to get the people they uh, want to work, uh, you know, to attract the best candidates. Um, you know, and, and then the other thing I'll say is that, you know, we all know and have probably been times in our own lives when we have just put our head down and, and slogged through work saying, not a good time to make a change. But now I think because of the pandemic, it has made so many of us reconsider our priorities and what's important to us and, you know, candidly what we're willing to put up with. So I think when we talk about the future of work, all of those things are, are uh, we're going to see that play, play out in the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always love asking these sort of deliberately broad questions to see how uh, they sort of strike people. So uh, yeah, appreciate everything that you kind of hit on there. Um, and I guess just anything, just to put a fine point on it, because I think what you were getting at too is sort of on my mind, a lot of like, you know, helping to prepare students for these things, which, you know, just an aspect of it is that it's sort of unknowable necessarily what like certain changes might come that uh, they don't even know about yet. But um, yeah, just like, how do you prepare students for that? And I know part of it is just trying to make sure that they understand that they're is that opportunity for lifelong learning and continuous development with any number of different resources and stuff like that. So, you know, it might kind of just get into the next uh, question I want to ask about like other, you know, other resources you might share, but just like, yeah, like how can we better prepare students for this quote unquote future of work? Just, I don't know what comes to mind for you. Well, I, I love this question because I think there are things that I think there are some specific things that we are already doing uh, and let's not lose sight of that. And some things that probably we're going to need to add to, you know, the, uh, the palette of, uh, what we offer for students, but specifically right now, we really need to help students, uh, prepare to work independently because remote work demands that. And a number of companies are making decisions to stay remote. So a student's going to need to be able to prove that they can work independently. And this is a generation of students who is used to and prefer to be told precisely what to do and how to do it. And they want immediate feedback and that does not work in a remote environment. So one of the best things we can do is, is build that independence, show them what that looks like, show them how to talk about it and help them communicate really effectively in a virtual environment, whether you know, that is the importance of tone in an email or uh, behavior on a Zoom call. These these are very specific skills that we can really address pretty quickly, I think. And I think students will get it uh, as we talk about it. Another thing that 
is already changing is interviewing. So interviewing has changed dramatically. The most recent research uh, is showing that where a typical, I think, interview to offer might be 23 days back pre-pandemic, it's now inching up towards 60 days. So it's taking longer. There are more steps and it's going to be increasingly virtual because companies, I think, just as humans, naturally, we feel that we need to take more care when we can't meet somebody in person. We probably overestimate our ability to evaluate somebody in person, but that's another subject. Uh, but companies are taking more care. They're involving more people in the process, and that takes longer. And there are simple things like even getting comfortable asserting yourself in the breakout room of a career fair. And what does that look like? And how do you... How do you uh, speak to a recruiter in a breakout room and what do you say and how do you introduce yourself? Uh, these are really uh, granular, very specific things students are going to need to know how to adapt to. Well, I think just one last thought on that is that like, it, it is sometimes like, yeah, like time well spent to, you know, educate somebody on that, especially, you know, young students, because there's often this presumption with things like social media and technologies where it's like, oh, they've got it. They understand, like they're fine. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, like socializing with their friends and just like, you know, kind of, you know, just informally hanging out. And it's just like, no, let's make sure that you, you know, even just the stuff of like, where are you going to take this call from? Like, do you have good lighting? Do you have like a good, you know, just sort of framing for your video? And yeah, like, how are you going to introduce yourself and do those sort of things? And um, Precisely. Yeah, so, yeah, it's just really good. Um, yeah, there's like a tangible way that you can better prepare students uh, for all this. So. And it's not hard. That's the good news is none of this stuff is hard. They're perfectly capable of it. It's just that they they don't even know what they don't know. So by sharing this information, I think we can highlight the sensitivity. And I will give you a quick anecdote. In my uh, class, of course, we're on Zoom. And one of the things that I say in my syllabus is that if your camera is not on, you're not present. It's really hard to be present if I can't see you. And the name of the class is actually Executive Presence and Problem Solving. So I was talking with my class about this the other day, and I said, you know, how are you showing up? How are you sitting? Do you have a hat on? Is there laundry in the background? <laughs> you know, are your roommates running back and forth behind you? This is all a part of your brand and how you present yourself. And they get it as soon as you point it out to them. And the other really uh, cool thing about this Zoom learning is, uh, at least at UD, we, we capture these videos. And so I've been able to send students back and say, go look at yourself in that video. Is that the way you want to be presenting yourself? And of course, they're very media savvy and they get it immediately as soon as they see it. Yeah. I mean, I, I see this with, I mean, colleagues and even like when I go to conferences and people are presenting and where it's just like, yeah, it just kind of chips away, you know, a little bit of like credibility if it's just like, oh, I mean, you're not using a microphone or like, you don't, you know, like different things like that. And yeah, and I mean, I, I've experienced like working in a mostly remote organization. It's like, that is like definitely what you want to anchor yourself towards. And if for some reason something is off, you have to sort of like... Because I think some people want to sort of think that it's like, well, no, don't call it out if you like aren't on video or whatever, like try to almost like hide in the back of the room. It's like, no, if you're not on video or, you know, you just have to call in. Obviously, it's great that you're still trying to like engage and be a part of that meeting and just be like, hey, everybody, really sorry that I can't be on video. I, you know, 
I'm doing this, that, or the other thing. And it makes sure that you're like, this isn't the norm. Like, I understand that, like, I would prefer to be able to have that presence, show them engaged and listening, um, and always like work towards having that be what you're able to do. Because it could be like, well, it's always really hard for me with these like 9 a.m. meetings to be able to like, you know, present myself in the best way. So it's like, you know, like maybe ask if they could reschedule so that you can like have the time to prepare and sit <laughs> at your desk and like, you know, all that. So, yeah, I mean, all that stuff, it's like the idea of like anchoring towards that. Uh, so that, you know, yeah, you can really present yourself in the best, the best way, whatever setting uh, you find yourself in. But, and then as, yeah, winding down, obviously we always love to share resources. I know you yourself and the work that you do, you know, have ways uh, for folks mm. to connect with you uh, in the show notes, but anything else, like just like really good books or podcasts or uh, anything else that you'd want to uh, recommend that we could also link out to? You know, I will uh, throw out a couple of resources uh, and not every university has it, but I think they are great resources. Um, one is Big Interview. It's uh, something that the University of Delaware has invested in. I'm a huge fan because it allows students to practice virtual interviewing in a uh, live environment and they use, so the student can actually record answers to typical interview questions. You can even put your own interview questions in there and ask students to respond to specific ones. It's a great practice tool. It allows them to view themselves. It also has AI scoring, which is interesting and I think somewhat legitimately controversial because I'm not sure uh, how responsive it is to diversity issues that come up in video and the amount of, you know, the type of expression and how we read expression. But I still think it's a great tool. Big fan of big interview. Uh, at the University of Delaware over the last 18 months, uh, we've put on an interview series focused on, um, and it's a webinar series. It's in a, it's in a panel. Uh, it's recorded as video focused on all aspects of virtual interviewing and it's open to the public and it's uh, all, all your listeners would have to do is go to my.learner.udel.edu and go to career webinars and they can you know hear from experts on what's happening in this new world of virtual uh, job hunting and then for my newsletter uh, I'm at avarcareers.com slash subscribe and I'd invite your listeners to uh, to follow me on LinkedIn. I have a very active LinkedIn presence. I, I post there more than weekly on all of these topics. And you can follow me on uh, on Twitter at, at, at Sarah B.A. And I just joined Clubhouse. So that's been kind of fun. Uh, and you can find me there, too. Yeah, I've jumped on a couple of uh, clubhouse calls. I'm still kind of getting the hang of it, but it's like, for me, I'm like, oh, it's like a live stream podcast. But like, I'm also like, oh, I wish that they were recorded so that I could listen to them later. Um. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a it's been a real uh, uh, adventure trying to figure that out. But now that I know you're there, I'm going to follow you and you can, there you are. You can follow me back and we will uh, we will play together on clubhouse. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I mean, and it's just obviously how it differentiates itself. It's like, yeah, you got to be there like at the time, you know, like that's like the whole thing. So um, that is the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Well, uh, you know, we'll end as we always do. Any final thoughts, calls to action uh, to end the episode with? Well, thank you, Dustin. I really appreciate the time to talk about a subject that I absolutely love. And in terms of, of calls to action, I will just say that um, that the more you can approach students where they are 
and make it, you know, really about them, really make it about them. The key, not just for our students, but for us is to, uh, to figure out what we want to say about ourselves. And, um, we're in a great position to help our students do that. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, I mean, this equips people with some strategies to help uh, students feel more at ease, uh, keep up with all the kind of best practices around uh, supporting students as they uh, begin their journey into the career world and everything. But uh, yeah, I mean, just so many great resources and obviously ways to connect with you as well. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for all that you shared and giving some time here and uh, yeah, just really great stuff. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.